Hello and welcome back to the True Blue Sporting Podcast and a review of the week that was in Australian sports. We'll go through the usual sp- suspects, the NRL, the AFL in rounds five and four, respectfully, as well as touching on our very own Alexander Volkanovsky in what was an, a very impressive title defence against the Korean Zombie at UFC 273, as well as the Australian F1 Grand Prix the first time the F1 has been down under since the pandemic began. was a fantastic spectacle um, at Albert Park. Uh, but before we get in, into everything, I've got a special guest to introduce you to. Um, it's Big Lezzers League, an all-rugby league experience. He produces some amazing content in the field of rugby league. And we brought him on this week to um, talk about round five of the NRL. Les, how are you going? Good, mate. I like the little intro you gave me there. I'm very excited to do this one and uh, can't wait. I've loved the, your page as well and what you're doing at the moment, so keep it up. Yeah, cheers, cheers. So may as well just jump straight into it. No waffling about Newcastle. Um, they were defeated by Manly 30 points to six on um, Thursday night. Thoughts on this match, Les? Newcastle, Manly, how are you reading these two sides early in the season? Look, I really liked how the Newcastle Knights started the season, although obviously they've come into this little spot there uh, being beaten by a manly side without um, Tom Trevojevic, a game that I think Newcastle should have won. Um, it was unfortunate that Newcastle did lose this one, but Manly just came out with a better team on the day. It was um, a good win there for Manly. The possession count was quite even, 51% to Manly, 49% uh, to the Knights. Look, I'm quite happy with Manly at the moment without Tom Trevojevic and it's good signs, especially for the rest of the season. If they do lose someone of significance that they can still perform to a high standard. Yeah, look, I'll probably sit on the other end of the spectrum with Manly, to be honest. I've, to me, it's a very similar to what they produced last year. Um, their first two rounds, uh, they were, they were disappointing for me. Um, but they've done what they've had to do in rounds three, four, and five, and that's get the win and just get the job done. But if they're to compete for a premiership, for me to sit on Manly as a title contender, they've got to beat a top four, top five side um, because, you know, getting wins against Newcastle, um, it's not going to win you a comp at the end of the day. You've got to beat those sides. But you, like you said, no Trebojevic, I thought that would impact them a lot more. Um, but yeah, they got the job done, which is all that matters. And, with Newcastle, those first two rounds, they were really impressive, weren't they? But, you know, they just, um, these last three rounds, it's just like they've gone back to the old. They're, they're not running as hard as they were in rounds ones and two. And I think a bit of complacency might have set in with only two wins sitting on board. Now sitting in 11th spot, you know, they're starting to get into a position where they have to play catch up on the rest of the competition. Um but this scoreline, I don't think it reflected the true um, contest. It was, you know, very, very tight there at 10-6 for a, a long period of that um, second half. And if um, Randall puts the ball down, it's 12-6 and Newcastle probably run away with it. Um, but I think they blew it. Manly, they blew the lead out um, towards the end of the game. And that probably... I don't think the scoreline reflects how close the game actually was. Um, I don't know about you and how you saw it, but that's personally mm. what I think. 
Well, look, I think Newcastle are very unfortunate as well to have about five injuries during that game or even just in the first half. It was really unfortunate that they've lost a couple of young guns now, dislocated wrists and whatnot. Um, I don't know if KP is going to be all right to play. He's been named in the lineup, but with his HIA things, uh, we don't know how that's going to go. I think he will be in the side, but look, Going into this week, though, they've got the Dragons. I think that the, it's definitely a winnable game. I've actually tipped the Knights to win this one, a bit of an underdog sort of comeback. I've I've still got a little bit of confidence in the Knights, especially from what I saw from them without KP in the side. With uh, Jake Clifford, with Adam Clune, these guys that were performing to a really good standard, um, especially at the start of the season, I've got a, still got a bit of confidence in, in the Knights. I think they can turn this around. I think they can come back and have a pretty decent one. But, yeah, if they keep playing like they did uh, last week, then they're going to be in a spot of Barney when it comes to the finals time. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's the perfect um, week for them to come back, especially coming up against the Dragons, a side which they should beat. So they get the Dragons at a right time, and it's not like they're going in against a top top contender in the competition. Um which can only do them the world of good to break this sort of run of consistent losses and just get a bit of confidence back in there because when they're flying high Newcastle, there's just this buzz around the NRL. It's just fantastic to see. Um, Friday night, Golden Point, New Zealand Warriors 25, the North Queensland Cowboys 24. Sean Johnson stands up when it matters most and that's exactly why he was brought to the club, wasn't it, Liv? Yeah, he is it's – it's his home. New Zealand is his home. Um and he showed us that for the past two weeks, especially in his return game. He was sensational. Really good touches there from Sean Johnson. The guy I'm really impressed about in that game was Scott Drinkwater coming into the side playing fullback. Uh, his first game of the season, I thought he was sensational. He's obviously playing fullback again this week. But I thought that Scott Drinkwater really, really came into this game strong. And I think it's a game that the Cowboys could have won for sure. It was one point between them. Um, it was unlucky for the Cowboys that Sean Johnson did get that field goal. It was probably looked like a field goal that I would kick, to be honest. But, um, yeah, really good effort there from the Warriors and from the Cowboys. I thought that either team could have won it at the end of the day. But, yeah, I'm very impressed with how Scott Drinkwater came into this game. And Sean Johnson, yeah, he was unreal too. Yeah, you mentioned Scott Drinkwater, and that was actually going to be my next point, how good he looked at the back. Um, you know, uh, there was a lot of talk about Scott Drinkwater and Tom Dearden who would be the six and partner um, Chad Townsend. I thought they made the wrong decision with going with Dearden, but Dearden to start the season in his first month and a bit of footy has been really impressive. Um, I don't think he has the flair that Drinkwater has, um, but definitely defensively more well-rounded. And that's the reason Todd Payton went with him. So that's fair enough. He's committed to that, but to have a, a player like Drinkwater and his quality to come in the side when someone goes down in that back line, it's just, it's very, very important because you look at sides when they lose um, spine plays specifically, and it's so crucial that spine that they drop another level. But Scott Drinkwater is that player that can play multiple positions in that spine. Probably plays, he can play six, seven if he really has to, and then obviously at the back. It just is so good for the Cowboys. He'd be um, pushing those guys to go forward and to, um, to be better than they are, um, which is only good for the um, Cowboys moving forward but look with these two sides I know it was a tight game and it was a very good contest I just can't get a read on either of them I think they'll be inconsistent once again um, 
you know, I, I tip the Cowboys to get the spoon. They're playing a bit better than that. Um, but it is early on in the season and they haven't really been tested yet. Um, they've been tested by the Roosters and they didn't perform. Um, so, yeah, but looking at these two sides, out of these two, who do you see going better in, in season 2022? I think the Cowboys for sure. I think what I've seen from them so far has been really impressive. Warriors definitely have a lot of potential to go well. Um, obviously, we've mentioned guys like Sean Johnson who's come back into this side. I think they need to figure out who the six is going to be. Oh, for me, it's Chanel Harris-Tavita. I think that him and Sean Johnson really combine well. They've obviously got Reese Walsh in that side as well. But I think the Cowboys at the moment, if they keep drinking it at fullback, bringing back the hammer into that side as well to hop on the wing, I think that's where he'll probably go. Uh, Dearden and Townsend have really linked up well and are really starting to gel. I mean, it's all good signs for the Cowboys in, in their past rebuild seasons. Um, this one's really going to count. And I think that they're looking really good at the start of this season. So if they keep up this form, the Cowboys, um, who knows? Maybe they won't be able to compete with the top sides, but they still might only just make the eight. Um, but look, it'll be very interesting over the next few weeks. I have to watch a few more weeks before I really get a solid opinion on the Cowboys. But if right now, if I'm picking a team that's going to go a bit further than one from the other, I'm going to have to go the Cowboys. Yeah, look, I agree with um, your choice for the Warriors. I'd go with Harris DeVita at six. I think um, takes a bit of a leaf out of the Cowboys' decision to go with that. He's more defensively solid and he's very good with the ball in hand. I think Nicarima offers a bit more off the bench in a jersey uh, 14 type of role. Um, that suits him very well. Um you know, you mentioned the Cowboys and their previous rebuilds. I just, I'm really concerned because we have, they've been in this situation before last year. They were in the eight, you know, halfway through the season and they just dropped off a bit. So I need to see them consistently do it um, and perform because we, yes, last year, few injuries here and there, but they've got to do it for longer periods of time and throughout a season. And if they can do that, there's no reason why they should be there because they've got premiership winners in that side. So um, the experience is there. It's more reliant on the youth and the um, the rookies per se in that side to really stay consistent and stay at that level, which they're playing at at the moment, which is pretty good. The Broncos versus the Roosters, 20 points to 24. Now, Les, the Broncos, they really showed up on their home turf, didn't they? Yeah, the Broncos, they really came up and had a good one in that. In that game, the Roosters, though, they looked sensational as well. Broncos actually having a really good completion rate of 83%, 35 out of 42 sets completed, just more than the Roosters. Um, but, yeah, both teams, I thought, looked really good. The Broncos, though, I think Billy Walters and Adam Reynolds are really starting to, to click and really starting to gel. Um, their combination is really starting to suit well, in my opinion. I think give them a few more weeks, and that combination is really going to start to spark up. Um, and yeah, just the efforts of Payne Haas. I think they're going to miss him this week and over the next two weeks that he's suspended for because um, the efforts he was putting in in that game were unreal as well. They sort of go unnoticed, and it's probably why he's the best front row in the game, just those little efforts that he does, the meters, the tackles. He's a competitor, Payne Haas, and yeah, some of his efforts were unreal. But for in terms of the Roosters, I thought Victor Radley, Joseph Manu, and Sam Walker were really the standout standouts in that game, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, look, um, talking about Payne Haas, he is an absolute freak. And I 
you know, this whole season I've been talking about how crucial he is for them moving forward. Um, you say those little efforts, and I want to point out one he made on Nat Butcher. He was sitting at the middle of the field, and Nat Butcher gets hit on a nice short ball. He runs a great line, Butcher, and then he gets into the back line, and who's the man that makes the tackle? It's Payne Haas. He just turns up in the picture wherever it is on the football field, and um, he always goes that extra way for his football side, and he's definitely the best front row in the competition for mine, and it's... Um, I wouldn't say it's daylight from second, but he's definitely the the premier prop in our game. Um, for Brisbane, I was really impressed with Stags because Stags, there has been a lot of talk about him at the start of the season, and he was extremely disappointing. But on the the weekend, he really showed what Katoni is about that damaging ball run over the footy, and he gave Momorowski nightmares. Momorowski on his own missed about nine tackles on Katoni Stags just because of that damaging fend that he's got and that great running technique. Um, so I was really happy for Katoni to get um, that game under his belt um, and play that sort of way. And then if we look at the Roosters, I don't think they were overly impressive, but when you're a side like that pushing for the top four, You've got to find ways to win and you've got to win different ways. Trent Robinson said it in his press conferences. You win games when you're in front, when it's tight or when you have to come back from behind. They were down 10-0 um, in that game, but they found a way to win and that's what the good sides do. Um, you know, individuals make some plays. Joey Manu, um, Sam Walker, they stood up and made some plays and um, they got the job done. For the Roosters, I'm actually really liking the way that they're going with their... Um, front row rotation and specifically the way they're using Angus Crichton. It's very similar to how he gets used in um, origin. Out of necessity, they've moved Angus Crichton into the middle because they haven't had um, Takeaho has been out. You know, they've been missing a few front rowers, but out of necessity, Crichton has moved into that middle. I think that's really um, seen the best footy come out of Angus Crichton. And don't be surprised if he really knuckles down that origin spot because there's so many players that can find a bench spot, but I think his versatility in that forward pack is just um, fantastic. And we're really seeing that origin style that Angus Crichton has produced being come back to um, Brett level. And I think moving forward, this is his role in this side um, because they've obviously got Tupanua and Butcher who are locked down on those edges and um, they're extremely solid. And once Takeaho comes back, I think they should keep it the same way because that could be, a damaging um, front row rotation. Um, the Roosters, they just, yeah, I, like I said, they find a way to win and that's what they did. Um, a lot of question marks around Tedesco, Les. People, mm. people saying, is he done? Has he passed his best? What do you think? Because I have some very strong opinions on this. Oh, I don't think he's passed his best whatsoever. I think he's changed his game up for the better. I think he's turned from this explosive off the cuff, uh, really, you know, he's turned himself from a scorer to a competitor and into a leader, which is what I've sort of enjoyed from Tedesco. He's not passing the ball as much. He's, he's taking those runs, especially when he gets kicked to on last tackle. You see a lot of fullbacks give it to their fellow man and say, here, you take the run up. Um, but he's willing to take it on. And that's what I've really liked about Tedesco. Uh, look, and 
it's mainly also because other guys in his team, like Manu, like Sam Walker, all these other guys are standing up and really showing off their talents. And we're not really seeing the little things that Tedesco does. So I still think Tedesco's in some pretty good form, but I think he's changed his game a little bit for the better and for the sake of the Roosters. Yeah, I think I think Tedesco's biggest problem is how hard he tries. Um, you know, when he when he buzzes around the middle of the field, everyone, um, and you know, he sort of dishes the ball off. He plays. Um, I like to call it Tigers Teddy. He gets back into the way he played at the Tigers, um, where it was just get the ball, um, run up and down the defensive line, and see if he can bump off some tackles and um, break the line. He's playing his best footy when he's running off his middle forwards and then he's tipping on out the back, which is his past, which he's developed at the Sydney Roosters under Trent Robinson has been second to none. Like when he went to the Roosters, he was nowhere near a ball player. Um, but now he has that in his um, arsenal. Um, and like you said, yeah, he's not, they're not as reliant as, as they once were. Um, and Teddy plays his best footy when they, when his team's going forward. And I think the likes of Takayaho being out and, um, you know, that's sort of not helping him. Um, but no, the f- I've, I read it um, on the weekend, you know, after the, the wake of Saturday, you know, people saying Tedesco passed his best. You know, I even heard someone say Pappenhausen to fullback for origin or Turbo to fullback for origin. Like, I just can't, I think that's ridiculous. Um, to me, he's still, um, I think when you, you play as well as you have for so many years, um, you obviously get, um, and when you don't perform up to that level, people are going to question you, question you, and if you're done. Uh, but Tedesco is nowhere near done, and it's a very good run of games for um, the Roosters moving forward for him to prove that for mine. Now Saturday three o'clock, um, the Raiders against the Storm, sixteen points to thirteen. Storm run out the winners. The storm, well, they just get the job done. Um, not anything which I didn't see coming. I'm loving the way Melbourne play. They, I think they're the way they're playing um, this season is fantastic. I'm loving the combinations between the spine players. Um, Grant has really affirmed himself as the best number nine in the competition for mine to start this season. Um, Munster, he's just damaging, and Pappenhausen, well, he just pops up anywhere, and there's always a chance uh, just with his um, anticipation. He's, he anticipates the play so well and, and is the best support um, supporting fullback in the game. And then Jerome Hughes really took the game by the scruff of the neck in, in parts of that game. Um, you know, his running game is is incredible, um, and he, he when he sees a defensive line sort of sitting off, he just picks his moment and just goes right at him and he doesn't dance around it. He just goes, plays really fast and really direct, uh, which is exactly what you need to do as a halfback. Um, so Melbourne, Les, what do you think about them and how they went on the weekend? I think the Melbourne halves, as you said, were sensational on the weekend, just creating from themselves. Um, look, you know, wonder the Melbourne Storm re-signed Jerome Hughes because the, the little things that he's doing and the big things that he's doing are just unreal. Harry Grant, as you said, just pretty much a sensational player. Um, I think they have to re-sign Munster because he's such an integral part of their team. Look, I, I really liked Melbourne on the weekend and I like the approach they're coming into the season with not blowing out teams at the start of the season, rather just getting through the games and then 
saving that really, really good form for the end of the season. Uh, I really like that sort of approach that they've come into the season with. And the Raiders, they always stand up against the storm. And I thought that they were really good in that game. It was quite close right up until the end. Um, so good stuff to the Raiders. I thought the Raiders really stuck in that game. And yeah, as you said, the, the storm just come in and get job, the job done. And that's what they did against the Raiders. But I still thought the Raiders stood up in that game and, and had a really good fight. Yeah, look, um, I agree with you there. But uh, what I took down from this is I still can't get a read on Canberra. Um, I honestly can't. I just, from five weeks um, of footy, we've seen five different performances. Um, I don't know about you, but I just can't get a read on them. What do you think about Canberra just moving forward? I think I think parts of their side have been good. I've been really impressed with Schneider. I think he has been um, fantastic as a rookie halfback. Um, you know, he's nice, controlled, composed, um, and it doesn't look like the step up in the first grade has really um, rattled him, as many people would think. Um, and then I think Jack Whiten's been pretty good at stages, and I thought – Last week um, against Melbourne was the first time which we had really seen the Chance of old um, because I think last season Chance was a bit, um, obviously he's had that long stint out. Um, but I think last week we saw the Chance of old. What do you think about Canberra? Because I need some sense. Um, I just can't get a read on them. Well, you, you, you can't forget they had Jamal Fogarty for the start of the season. Then obviously he was out. Brad Schneider, he had him for two games and obviously he was out with COVID for one and they had, they had three or four different halves pairings, mate. So we, we haven't really seen Brad Schneider and Jack Whiten consistently, but what I've seen from them so far has been good. I've really liked their combination. Give them a few more rounds, mate. Wait for that side to sort of gel. Uh, and I think that Canberra are going to be a real force in this competition. I don't expect them to go anywhere near how they went last season. I think they're going to be very close to the top eight for sure. I'm really liking, as I said, that Schneider and Jack White in combination, chance to go clock stats, little efforts as well. Uh, I really like this Canberra Raiders side. And Tom Starling, I think he just gives that side a bit more go forward, the young nine there. I'm really liking this Canberra Raiders side. So, yeah, just wait for this side to gel, mate, the one, six, seven, and nine. Once they all gel, this Canberra side, it's going to be really, really dangerous. Yeah, I look, I hope so because you know they're 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 similar to Newcastle. When Canberra's going well, rugby league's going well. Um, and that that run they went on in twenty nineteen, I was I was on the the green machine all the way through the grand final. Um, but yeah, I just I understand that they haven't had that time of playing together, but I don't see a consistent way of play. Because you know when some when with some teams, if players are out, they'll still play the same way. It's just we've seen a whole we've seen five different performances um, from them. Like the result against Cronulla, really impressive at home, but then they go up to Townsville and they produce what they produced against the Cowboys. So that's the that's the inconsistency which is getting me um, a bit off them. But I hope that they can get it all together, and I'm sure under Ricky Stewart. If there's one coach that can get that all together, it's him. Well, as I said, mate, once that side gels, they're going to be really dangerous. You look at the possession, it was pretty much nearly 50-50. The completion rate is what let Canberra down. It was 67%. Yeah, they haven't held the ball well this year. They did. They have held the ball well, but it's what they've done with the ball uh, that's sort of let them down in those tight games. And, I mean, keeping a 50-50 possession against the Melbourne Storm 
is really impressive. They had some good touches. If they complete most of their sets, I reckon they stay in this game and it's going to be a tight contest. So once that spine does gel, you'll see the completion rates go up and you'll see them start to win more games, mate. Yeah. Look, um, I've probably been a bit too um, harsh on Canberra, but that's just because I think they can push um, for a final spot this season um, because they've got the quality there. Um, but yeah, they're, they're ball handling to start the season. I think it feels like in every review, which I do, it's always about the, them shooting themselves in the foot with their um, completion rate. Um, and they just have patches in games where they just can't put complete sets. So if they can get that right, there's no doubt they'll be competing for the finals. Moving on to South Sydney Rabbitohs against the St. George Illawarra Dragons. A 24 points to 12 victory comes at a cost for the Rabbits, Latrell Mitchell hamstring injury sees him spend eight weeks on the sideline. It's his opposite leg this time to the one he did in season 2020, which saw him miss that finals run and subsequent origin series at the back end of the season. Um, the, the logical change is Taft to fullback, and that's what they've gone for this week. Um, South, they were good against St. George. St. George, their selection decisions just uh, continue to baffle me, and I don't get why they're um, continuing to go with it. Your thoughts on this game, Les? I know you're a South supporter. It would have been good to get the win. Yeah, it was very good to get the win. Um, but I think that South could have done a lot better than they did. Uh, look, I understand the troll went out with the hamstring injury. Blake Taff came into the side. Blake Taff, I thought, was quite impressive. Uh, his goal kicking was spot on. Um, look, Cook and Graham, I thought, came out really, really strong in that game and, and played really, really well. Cook was in my team of the week and he was in a lot more teams of the week as well cause just because the effort he puts in each week. His defensive efforts have been sublime. I think he's sort of taken that part of his game and improved it really, really well. Look, if I'm, I'm telling you right now, if South had 72% completion rate during that game. If that's a bit high, I reckon they win this game by a lot more. I think they definitely have the potential to do that as well, South Sydney. Um, but look, I'm I'm still um, convinced that Lachlan Elias, he's doing a really, really good job there with Cody Walker. And I'm quite convinced that once they gel, that South are going to win more games by higher amounts. Uh, but it's a matter of time. And if this means that we miss finals or if this means we miss the top four or top six, uh, I'm happy with that because it's a season that South are sort of trying to rebuild after the losses of Reynolds, after the losses of Wayne Bennett, the one of the best coaches in the game. Uh, look, it's it's going to be tough for South Sydney over the next few weeks. And if this is a rebuild season, that's what it is. Um, but look, once Lachlan Elias and Cody Walker do click, I'm very confident that we're going to start to get a lot more wins. Yeah, look, I, Lachlan Ilias, I think he has um, been great to start the season. Um, he had a tough introduction to first grade. His first couple of games with Penrith, um, Melbourne and the Roosters. Um, but I didn't think he was he was poor at all. I think he's finding his feet in, in first grade. And they did this with, um, obviously, Adam Reynolds in 2012. They put him next to an experienced player in John Sutton. I'm not saying John Sutton and Cody Walker are the same um, player or the same type of player. but it's a process with Souths have been um, through before, so they know how to manage it. Um, Ilias and Walker, their, their combination is slowly starting to work. I think the loss of Latrell is going to be massive for them, but they would have been training with Taff at fullback for majority. They had 
been training, in fact, with Taff at fullback for majority of the preseason because they knew that Latrell would have been missing for the first couple of weeks. Ilias and Taff have also played a lot of footy together. Um, obviously, they missed a lot of footy uh, through the COVID years, but they've played junior footy together. So moving forward, any side with Cameron Murray in it isn't going to miss the finals. I, 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 people that say in the South are going to miss the finals, I, I don't see it. Cameron Murray is... I've run out of words to say how solid he is because he never, his best, his worst game is an eight out of 10. Um, and he was fantastic on the weekend. Um, and Damien Cook, I think in the past three weeks has really um, got back to the Damien Cook of old. Um, early on in that game um, against St. George, he took the, took the line on, his running game was on, he set up that try in the corner with that line break. Um so he's back for me. I'm, I'll declare it now. Damien Cook is back, um, and it's going to be a really exciting battle to see who gets that Australian nine jersey between Damien Cook and Harry Grant. Um, St. George, Les, one win from their last 13 matches. Is their noise, should the noise around their head coach start? It has started, mate. I've already heard a report like declaring how much it would cost if St. George did get rid of their coach. So it, it's it's noise we shouldn't be hearing. It really is noise that we shouldn't be hearing. This is a club that is in their rebuild phase. They're trying to get a really good side going under their new coach. And look, if Anthony Griffin gets sacked, I'm going to be very disappointed because I really do like how this side looks um, at the moment. It's just the fact that they're not putting the right players in the right positions. Jack Bird, I don't think he's the six. I don't think he's the solution there. I think Amone and Ben Hunt was working really well for them, and I don't know why they swapped that out. Tyrell Sloan, you've got to give him a few more weeks at fullback. You can't just take him out of the side after he doesn't play well for two games. I think that's a bit stupid in my opinion. I think that Tyrell Sloan's definitely the fullback. Um, I don't not, I have not much confidence in uh, Mitchell... Moses Mbai, sorry. Um, I don't have much confidence in Moses Mbai playing fullback. I think that Tyrell Sloan's the go there. Um, yeah. Look, I think Moses Mbai is more of an experienced man rather than someone who is going to be playing full-time. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's weird because they've done the money war tactic for their young blokes so they can play their pay their young blokes more yeah, we're not seeing them play consistent first grade. Jaden Sullivan's still in reserve grade, uh, for example, as well. So uh, it's it's a bit confusing for me, especially when they did the money ball tactic for their younger blokes. It, it just baffles me as to why the young blokes aren't playing first grade and aren't getting used to playing first grade on a regular basis. Yeah, look, 100%. Um, you get rid of Dufty and Corey Norman to allow Sloan and Amone to develop and to play first grade week in, week out. Then four, three weeks in, you drop Amone to the bench and Sloan's out of the side completely. That just doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, is it an off-field incident? Is it an off-field attitude um, at training? Who knows? Um, but based on the way they were performing, I don't think it was a change... Um, which was made, I was saying on the weekend, I was talking to one of my mates, Ben Hunt is too good for St. George. I think if Ben Hunt is in a, if you put Ben Hunt in a side like Melbourne or, or South, he is in the conversation with the best halfback in the comp. In the comp. 
And, you know, I genuinely believe that he is way too good to be at St. George because St. George just let him down. He, he has to carry that side. Um, for my, for me personally, I don't know what, what you think, but yeah, Ben Hunt, um, if he gets on a freakish run, they might be able to do something, but they've just got to, um, I don't know what they've got to do, but they've got to fix it because one from 13 is, is an ugly record. Um, and as soon as the question marks start around your head coach, we're seeing it at another club at the moment, your team just rinses a confidence. And you you really struggle going forward. Yeah, look, I I think that Ben Hunt wouldn't even be the best halfback in the comp if he had left the, if he went to another club in the competition. I think he'd be the best nine. I don't even think he's a halfback. I think he's a sensational nine. We saw it in Origin how good he is playing in that dummy half role. Um, it's it's quite crazy to think about as well. They've got Andrew McCulloch there, so they obviously can't put Ben Hunt at nine. Um, look. I think Ben Hunt, I think he loves the club too much to leave, to be honest. I think that St. George is his home, and if he has to carry around the side, then that's what he has to do. I think he's quite happy to do that. Um, but I don't think he's really carrying the side as much as he was in past seasons because of guys like Amone and Sloan who came in and played really well. So the fact that they've been dropped is a very confusing one. Um, and it's one that definitely shocked me when I saw that Tyrell Sloan wasn't even in the reserves the first week that he was dropped. So, look, I, yeah, it's it's a very confusing confusing one for me. I think that if St George want to go well, then they've got to let Amone and Ben Hunt gel. They've got to let uh, Tyrell Sloan gel with the spine, and I even think they've got to include Jaden Sullivan just to add a bit of confidence from the younger blokes around him and his mates around him. They've got to put Jaden Sullivan in that 14 jersey. And if that means that Moses Embiid is the 18th man, the hype man around the side, and the experience that's gelling these guys through and then helping these guys play consistent first grade, then I think that's what St. George have to do because that's what the plan was. That's probably what the plan was. If you're doing a money ball tactic and blooding these younger guys, hoping to pay them more money in the future, then you've got to start blooding them now rather than dropping them out of a side when they're not playing well for one or two weeks. I think that was a bit ridiculous. So, yeah, I think you've got to give them more than just two weeks to gel. Yeah, well, it's proven. The combinations don't develop. Um, you can train as much as you want, but as soon as you get put in a game situation, that's when combinations really start to develop. So, you know, they've got to um, do something. Obviously, Griffin thinks this is the way forward. Um, he needs the experience to stand up now. And by, uh, he's been around the game for a long period of time. He needs to stand up um, if he's going to be the one to play fullback. Um, I just don't get why someone who was um, let go by the Tigers, um, who was jumping around different positions four weeks into into the season, is now the number one. And I thought Jack Bird was really good at, in the back row. Um, I thought that's if he had found his position there, but now he's in the halves. So I really don't get it moving forward for them, but who knows? Maybe they come out against Newcastle and shock us, but I've got Newcastle getting the win there. Um, the last game on Saturday night was the Gold Coast Titans up against the Parramatta Eels. And these two, they just put on exciting contests against each other, don't they, Les? Yeah, they looked really good. I thought the Titans looked a lot better than they did last week. Um, and Parramatta, Gutho was unbelievable. Gutho put on a clinic for that side. 
Um, Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown, I think they're really starting to gel as a halves pairing. It's taken them a few years, but they're finally starting to look really, really impressive. Dylan Brown, especially, we were really, really giving it to him in the in the preseason, saying he's only a defensive 5'8". I've been hearing a lot of that, uh, but he really came into this season with a lot of confidence and his attack has pretty much skyrocketed. So he is a fantastic 5'8". I think Mitchell Moses has been unreal over the past few weeks as well. So I'm very happy with Parramatta at the moment. If they keep up this form, if they win against the top sides, I'm honestly would not would not question if they made it to the grand final or, or even into the top four. Yeah, look, um, Parramatta, they've been really good to start the season, like they always are, to be honest, with Parramatta. Um, they just get their seasons off to a fantastic start. Uh, like you said, with Dylan Brown, a lot of people were saying he was a defensive um, half. I was probably, I was critical of um, Dylan Brown. I said that this season he needs to um, take a leap forward, and he has done that. Um, obviously, tr- three try assists in the previous season. Um, yes, it's a statistic, but it's an important s- statistic for a 5'8". Um, and this year, he has been the best 5'8 um, to start the season. He's playing some fantastic football um, alongside Mitchell Moses, who um, is playing playing brilliantly. Their forward pack, for me, is the best in the competition. Um, they're Campbell Gillard, Paulo, uh, Papali'i, Madison, Brown, they just play such a direct, fast um, style of game, but they can all ball play and they can all move the footy, uh, which is just adds another element to their attack because you never know what's going to happen. Paulo can go to the line, hit, spin, play out the back, draw in three defenders because he's a three-man tackle and allow the likes of Moses Brown and Gutherson to play on the outside. With the Gold Coast Titans, I thought they were good um, in, in patches. Um, but they're just going to put it together consistently. Um, yeah, with the Titans, their, def- their defense is the big thing for me. Um, that we know that they can put points together, um, but defensively this year, they really haven't, despite that game where they held the Tigers scoreless, it's not like they were throwing much at them. Um, but they were really, um, yeah, they just, they just concede points and leak points way too easily. There were two big talking points out of this game, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it. One was the captain's challenges, the deliberate penalties given away to break the play up and then call for the captain's challenge. And then the junior Paulo Sinbin. What are your thoughts on both of these um, situations? First of all, the deliberate penalties. Every other club other than the Titans is going to be angry about that. I bet you Justin Holbrook's giggling to himself after that one. I think that he'd be very happy with that, and it's smart by the Titans, to be honest. But, yeah, it's it's annoying for the fans. It's annoying for everyone else, uh, every other club. Uh, I think it was a bit stupid. But, again, the referees made the wrong call there, and, and the Titans made uh, took took that to their advantage, I guess, and and made a, well, I wouldn't say cheated, but they sort of found a loophole and, and it worked for them. Um, as for the junior Paulo sitting being, I think that was ridiculous. Uh, you could say that AJ Brimson was holding his shoulder after that tackle and not his head. So um, the fact that he was sent off there, I thought was ridiculous. And I think that's really unfortunate for junior Paulo. I think he's out for one to two weeks now as well. So I think Parramatta is going to miss him. 
Um, yeah, I think it was really unfortunate. I think it was quite stupid, to be honest, that he was sent off in that game. Yeah. Look, the Junior Paulo one um, was ridiculous, like you said. Um, the fact that they, the way that the referee put it towards Gutherson and Paulo was it was direct, it was forceful, and it was contact with the head. So why wasn't AJ Brimson sent by the independent doctor for a head knock HIA assessment? That's that's all that should be done. If 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 it's good enough for a sin bin, AJ Brimson should have been sent for uh, an assessment at least. We all know that it hit his shoulder. Everyone knows that it hit his shoulder and bounced up. Did it look ugly? Yeah, it kind of did because it kind of looked like it bounced up and got him in the head and it looked like a pretty high shot. But upon further examination, everyone knows that it wasn't um, wasn't a high tackle. But then AJ Brimson's allowed to play t- uh, 15 minutes with what was supposedly direct, forceful contact to the head. So I don't know what is going on there, um, whether the independent doctor and the referees are on a different page um, or the referees just... He, the referee was considering sending him off. Now, could you imagine if he sent him off and what uproar that would have had? Like, yeah, like it wasn't even a Simbin. And they were, he goes, when, when he was in conversations with the bunker, he said, Simbin, is that it? Like he wanted to send him off, but for a tackle, which, which hit the shoulder. And then in regards to the captain's challenges, I think that's, I think it's horrible. Munster's, Munster's done it a couple of times. Um, I think it just questions the integrity of the officials and it's not the way that our game's played. Our game is played by the referee makes the call um, and that's that. If there's a stoppage in play, then you can challenge it. I think they'll get rid of the captain's challenge altogether within the within this year. I think by the end of the year, the NRL will come out and say captain's challenges are gone because I think the Gold Coast will show people what to do. I think this is an... And this is probably the beginning of a trend because people are seeing that it's done. Um, so I think the NRL are entering into a very, very difficult period here where, you know, they're, they've got to make a stance on this. They've got to come out and said, they've already come out and said they're not happy with it. But I won't be surprised by the end of the year if the captain's challenge is no more. The captain's challenge was brought in for the absolute blunder. The, the core such as the one which caused up roll in a grand final. And that's fair. That's what it was brought in for. But now teams are using it as a tactical decision. And that just doesn't sit right with me, to be honest. Um, I guess. I think the only way to, you know, get rid of this trend, get rid of this loophole is for referees. They're going to make the right call. And, and most, most calls, sometimes they don't. And, that's why they find that teams are finding these loopholes because they know that the referee hasn't made the right call and they want to get a loophole and they've found a loophole to, to get their way in a decision. And, and I mean, good on the teams for doing that. Munster's been doing it for weeks now. Munster had been doing it for weeks before the Titans even did it. And there was no talk about it until the Titans did it. So look, I don't know what to think about this one. I think that it's wrong. It definitely is wrong. And I know it is a loophole there for the Titans and other teams. I agree with you. I'm going to see this as an advantage for them. Um, and look, I th- as I said, the only way I think that I see this going away, this loophole is for 
referees to make the right call and what it, the, the bunker needs to step in a bit less. I think they need to let the officials do their job. But yeah, I think referees at the end of the day, they just got to make the right call. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Um, but growing up when you play junior rugby league, what do you get told as a player? Definitely get told. Definitely don't get told to do a captain's challenge. No, you play to the referee's whistle. That's the yep. way I see it. Whatever the referee makes the decision, whether it's right or wrong, you play to that decision. There's nothing you can do about it. Humans are going to make errors. It's, that's all it is. And yes, we put scrutiny on officials because they have um, very important. Uh, they have a very important role. But you play the referee's whistle. That's what every kid that plays rugby league grows up and plays any sport for that matter grows up with. They're, that's what it is. Um, so that's the way I'm coming from, I guess, that it's just um, you're deliberately questioning them. I'm probably not a fan of the captain's challenge altogether. I think they should get rid of it. And if this trend continues, um, they definitely should get rid of it because it shouldn't turn into a tactical um, play. If you think it's a 50-50 decision, which didn't go your way, I'll stick my hand up and I'll captain's challenge it. It was brought in for the absolute plunder. And right now it's being used as a tactical decision. Um, Sunday afternoon, Sharks, Tigers, Sharks, 30 points to four. The question I have for you, Les, are the Sharks a genuine title contender? 100% they are. I reckon they make top four this year. I think that Hines has pretty much exceeded everyone's expectations. He's come out and had a really good start to his season. Uh, but unfortunately for the Tigers, it's exactly how I thought they were going to come out, to be honest. I, I didn't expect them to go well in that game at all, and I don't think anyone really did. Uh, it was just unfortunate for the Tigers, and they've had a really unfortunate start to their season. So, yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for Tigers fans, but, yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be a tough next few weeks for them. And, honestly, if I think they continue this form, if they don't get a win in the next few weeks, I could see them, you know, getting that wooden spoon at the end of the season. Yeah, I'll touch on Cronulla first um, because then, you know, I'll get on to the Tigers. But with Cronulla, I, I've – for me personally, this is what I was expecting from Cronulla. And I don't want to, you know, sort of sit here and say, I told you so, but my preseason prediction, I had them sitting in the top four because of the acquisitions of Hines, Fanukin, McInnes, and then head, uh, their head coach Fitzgibbon. They've just, at, for me, that this is the way that they should be performing. And it's so good to see Cronulla and the Shire back up to there and competing for the top four. I think they are a top four side in season 2022. Matt Moylan, has, his form has been fantastic to start the season. I think someone like Hines, who plays very similar, similarly to um, Matty Moylan, uh, they're both running. And um, you notice you notice if one goes, say, say Nico takes the line on, Moylan will always push up on the ball and vice versa. So they play together fantastically and they, their combination is really starting to develop. And then their forward pack, they turn up for each other. Fanukin's a great leader. McInnes, McInnes is coming off the bench when he was probably brought there to start in jersey number 13. I think Blake, Blake Braley has been fantastic to start the season. So, yeah, Cronulla, I've been really impressed with them. And, you know, Fitzgibbon, he's brought a really strong defensive focus to that club, and it's starting to show. You know, they kept the Tigers to an intercept try, which was in the last minute. So, um, although, oh, I'll be honest, my notes for this, was Tigers, 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 because that's what it is at the moment. It's just, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what's happening. Um, you know, it's just disappointing to see because 
I think we're in a situation at the moment where everything and anything gets scrutinized. Um, I, every second article which gets released in the media is about the West Tigers, whether it's about Brooks's contract, whether it's about uh, Madge's coaching future, selection decisions in the future. Every second article feels like it's about the Tigers and it's almost like the wars are caving in and it's almost um, they're asking for the trigger to be pulled on something. Uh, Madge has swung the axe this week. Um, but yeah, the Tigers, what do you, what do you got? Look, mate, as I said, I think they're in a really unfortunate situation. And I know you being a Tigers fan, it's probably not the best um, start to the season. And I know that you'd be hurting right now. But, um, yeah, look, it's it's not a good decision at all. I think they're only making things worse having Luke Brooks at six. I think that he is – oh, okay. <sighs> having a bunch of confidence in this guy and having him at seven – for years, for years, having the world of confidence in this guy and all of a sudden when he's about to go on 1.2 million on his next contract, you say to him, we don't want you to be our seven anymore. You can be the six and you're not the main guy anymore. We've, we, we, yeah, it's, it's a bit harsh and it's a bit hectic as well. I wasn't expecting that one at all, but look, I have a lot of confidence in Jackson Hastings. I think that he could be a real good organizer, but yeah, it's tough on Luke Brooks. And I, I know you're going to get quite rolled up at this, but I said at the start of the season, I said when the reports were coming out that Luke Brooks could be going to Newcastle, I said that he probably should take that contract. Um, but yeah, it's on it. Look, it's a tough, it's a tough spot for the Tigers at the moment. Their side on paper, it's not too bad. I mean, David Nofaluma comes in and puts a really good effort in each week. Um, I mean, Joe Offerhand-Gowie's been quite good for me. Luciano Lua, Tuolagi. Um, there's some good signs, but as a as a collective, it's yeah, it's not looking good for the next few games. Yeah, look, I when that Newcastle. Um, rumor with Brooks was coming around. I wanted him to take that contract as well because I, I, we, Tigers fans know the potential and the ability that, that Luke has. Um, and that's what's frustrating the most is we know that he can produce, um, fantastic football. So I was hoping that he would, if he was to go to anywhere, go to Newcastle, go, um, under Joey. And we would, I, I think we would have seen a revitalized version of Luke Brooks. Now I don't know where he fits in the NRL. Um, but look, I'll say this thing about, um, obviously the question with Brooks moved to six, Jace, Jackson Hastings is now the seven and everyone goes $1.2 million. Um, you said he's the man all the way through and now he wears jersey number six. Two things, the position, it's not six and seven. They're very, very similar. It is more. It would be more a mentally thing. I, I would not be surprised if if Madge went into Luke and said, "Look, I'm going to put you in the six jersey, free you up a bit, and get back to what you do best, and that's running the football." Luke Luke's never been a general organizer of um, a football side. He's never been that chief. Um, you know, when he's had played his best footy, he's never been the chief, and I think that's what's been struggling for the past few seasons. Um, when he first re-signed at the club. He was good. 2018, he was the Dallium halfback of the year and his halves partner in that year, Benji Marshall. He was the most dominant. He was the dominant half out of the two, which allowed Brooks to take the line on and run. 
Jackson Hastings will do that for Luke Brooks. And I think the number, the jersey, you know, has the potential to be just the number. Um, and look, I with Parramatta this week, when they're gonna they're gonna win this contest, I think. Um, I I'm struggling to see where this win comes from. Dewey, the loss of Dewey, um, Stefano Utskomanu, they're two massive losses. They're they're two of the two of the best players of the club, um, if not the two best. So the fact that they're out isn't helping. Um, you know, there's there's rumors that our our CEO and our time of need has gone on leave and he's on a five week holiday. Um, so it's all this thing that's just starting to unravel and something's gonna something's gonna um unfold and something's got to give um so yeah look i don't know what it will be but hopefully it's a victory which gives and you know we get the win and um we just get the week off from a bit of media i think if we get the if the tigers beat the titans um maybe the noise dies down a bit um but that's the thing our game is such a, a results driven business and if you don't get it done um noise starts to build and that's what's happening obviously with St. George and we're seeing it at the Tigers at the moment but no matter what I'll sit here I'm sitting here recording this podcast in my Tigers jersey I'm still turn up support week in week out um, and hope that it turns and when it eventually does you know the Tigers should be a powerhouse in the NRL and that's the frustrating thing I think and that's why there's so much media talk around it is because West and Balmain two foundation clubs this merger should be a powerhouse, but at the moment it just isn't. The Bulldogs, Panthers, they rounded out the round and Penrith, they extend to 5-0, 32 points to 12. Um, your thoughts on this one? I thought the Penrith were unreal. I thought Bulldogs were much better than last week as well. I think that the key to the Bulldogs, now you look at this lineup, you look at uh, Josh Adokar, I was really, really annoyed with the way that Dufty played that game. I thought that it wasn't the best performance from Dufty. He just didn't look good. He ran for a f only a few metres in the first half, probably only around 10 or something metres, I think it was, in the first half because he just wasn't getting any ball. And the ball that he did get, it was a knock-on it was a, or it was an error. Um, but the good signs from the Bulldogs was Addo Carr. I think if he gets early ball, then he's just so dangerous and the things that he can do with the ball, the speed that he has, if you give him some space, I think that it's, it's, if he, if they free up at Okar, then yeah, it's, it's, they're going to play some much better footy as well. Burton, I think has been a really good sign for the Bulldogs. Um, he was quite good for me, Josh at Okar though. He was one of three players in that Bulldog side to run over 100 metres, which is saying something about the side that they've got at the moment. And it tells us that they've still got a bit of work to do. He ran for 146 metres. I thought Isaac Targo was a freak in that game, 176 metres with one offload and one try assist. Um, yeah, look, I mean, the Panthers stats look really good. Um but yeah, the stars in that side from the Bulldogs, I think they just step up in the next few weeks. I thought Kyle Flanagan actually played really well. I thought Kyle Flanagan had a really good game in that one. Uh, and I think he'll be a great choice for them if they continue to put him at halfback. I know they've got him there this week, but I think whoever they do choose over the next few weeks, they need to have it 
consistently over the next few weeks just so the halves can gel rather than chopping and changing because I think that's what's going to happen with the Bulldogs. If they keep chopping and changing, the further down the ladder I see them going. If they keep the consistent halves pairing, the further up I see them going. And yeah, as I said, giving some Adokar some ball in some space as well will help him heaps. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see uh, how the Bulldogs go over the next few weeks. I definitely think that they've got a lot of potential, especially with Burton and the, the form that he's in. Um, but yeah, they've just got to do the little things right. I think the Bulldogs are uh, in order to have some success. Yeah. Um, look, Penrith, I think they're the best team in the competition and seen by, you know, they're sitting on top of the ladder with the only team which hasn't lost a game. Um, their system, it just next man up. Uh, May as well. You mentioned Tago, but May as well filling in for um, Toto on that wing has been superb and probably earned himself the wing spot once he comes back. Um, Edwards has been fantastic. Um, and Isaiah, you know, he's, he's the best lock in the game. Um, he's just, he's to me, he's the most influential player in that side. Um, when it comes to the way that they play, obviously Nathan Cleary is the best halfback in the game, but I think that if they lose, if they use lose Yo, they're gonna they have the potential to struggle. Um, not 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 immensely, but not be at the level which they currently have. Um, with the Bulldogs, yeah, you mentioned Dufty, and you know, to me, Dufty, uh, he, he's very good with the ball in hands offensively. And you mentioned how poor he was offensively, but I think the defensive side of the ball is his um, is the knock on him. I think attacking, he can get his way into the game. And and with the ball in hand, he's been okay to start the season. But defensively, he doesn't organize a defensive line. And when he's when he needs to make a tackle, he doesn't make the tackle. Um, and that's my biggest concern for their fullback spot. Uh, you mentioned Burton. Burton being good to the start the season. I did have here Flanagan was very impressive in his return, despite the fact that they were blown out. I think their treatment of Flanagan has been quite poor. Um, they need to commit to Flanagan. They signed him when um, the Roosters said, we don't want you anymore in season 2020, at the end of season 2020. He played f- uh, a month of football before he was dropped and they, they haven't had that consistent half. If Flanagan is that consistent half for mine. He allows Burton to play Burton style of footy and uh, running the board. I think Burton is a game manager. I think he's a running 5'8". Uh, and, you know, that's that's his his game style. So Flanagan allows him to play that way. Um, so the Bulldogs, this, they're just, they're not going anywhere. They feel like they're not going anywhere, but they're not going backwards. Like they're better than they were last year, but they're not, you know, pushing up the ladder as high as they should be. They're still sitting in, in 15th spot. So um, they're obviously, uh, but they're, they're, they need to improve. They still have a lot of room for improvement, but that's a that's um, that's a good thing as well. Um, the probably the biggest talking point out of this weekend, uh, Les, with the injury to Latrell Mitchell, um, is the center spot for Origin. Now, I was meant to I was meant to bring it up um, after the South Dragons game. That center spot seems to be open now. Latrell Mitchell, eight weeks. Will he be back in time? Maybe, maybe not. If he's not back in time, I want to put a question to you. Who plays centre in that spot? And if you could list off a couple, you know, you're probably top three, top four contenders for that spot. Well, you're actually 
very good timing with this question because I put out a post about it today. Um, there's a few guys that I actually have in here. First one, we just talked about him, Matt Burton. I think that he'll be a good shout uh, to go in the centers there for the Blues. The, the eight guys I've got here, the eight guys that I think that will most likely get the spot is Burton, Stephen Crichton, Jack Whiten, Zach Lomax, Clint Gutherson, Campbell Graham, Katoni Staggs, or even Nico Hines. Nico Hines might be an interesting little shout there as well. Uh, but the top three, if I had to pick three out of this one, Burton's my number one. I reckon if he s- sticks to this form, I reckon he'll definitely be up there. I see Nico Hines as more of a 14. Um, the second guy I've got here um, would probably be Jack White, and we know how much Freddie loves Jack White, and so I reckon that he'll probably have a good chance of taking that spot. The third one I've got here is Campbell Graham. I think that he is unreal, uh, and I think that if even if – it actually depends if Brian Toto comes back into some really good form, which I reckon he will for sure. Um, it depends when Brian Toto does come back into this side. Um, I think that Campbell Graham could even, even get that wing spot if Brian Toto doesn't come back in time as well. Um, but yeah, Campbell Graham's the third guy that I've got there. So Burton, Whiten, and Campbell Graham, they're my top three. Uh, but there's plenty of other guys that could snake that spot for sure. Yeah, it's a long list um, of options. Uh, if I'm looking at my top three, I'd have Graham as number one in and around the squad last year. And his, his football has developed um, strength by strength um, in the last 18 months. He'd be my number one choice to replace Latrell. Number two, I'd have Stephen Crichton. Um, we've seen that his big big game ability and his, his ability to stand up in a big game and, and create a moment. Um, and then number three, I'd have Burton, um, who is very, very solid at the center of the year last year. And um, he's just a footballer and that can fill that spot. Um, but a lot of, you know, you, you throw out White and you throw out uh, Gutherson, they've done the job before. So who knows where Freddie's going to go if he has to make that decision. But it's a good good headache to have and good conversations to um to have moving forward. You'd rather be um, picking from eight options than having three players to pick in two spots. Um, that's for sure. Did you catch the NRLW Grand Final on the weekend, Les? I did, actually. I watched a bit of it when I was moving into my dad's new joint. Um, I had it on the TV while I was unpacking boxes. Jeez, the Roosters looked good, and so did St. George in most moments of that game. I thought that St. George could have held on to that one, uh, but the Roosters, they just came back and put up a fight. Sergis, Kelly, um, geez, that Roosters side was stacked, and, and two weeks in a row they've had really good comebacks, one against the Broncos and one, obviously, against St. George in that grand final, but I think they definitely deserved the win there, uh, and they looked really good, the Roosters. Yeah, it was a fast start from St. George, obviously. They scored within the first minute and um, sort of the, the demons of past might have stuck, stuck in, um, snuck into the heads of the um, Roosters players. Obviously, this being their third time in a grand final. So third time lucky for the Roosters, winning 16 points to four. Uh, but they fought hard to uh, get that game back on to their turns. And I want to note out a really big play from Isabella Kelly. Isabel Kelly, rather. For all. She gets the ball. She beats about five defenders and scores underneath the post and really turns the contest in the way of the Roosters. Um, and it was great to see. It was great scenes at Redcliffe, a packed house um, at what will be the new home of the 17th 
um, NRL franchise, but for the um, NRLW and for women's football in general, this expansion has been done so perfectly. The next expansion will be within the next year to eight teams, and they're doing it the perfect way. They're not going too quickly. The, the biggest thing, which they, they went from four to six, the competition this year was the best it's ever been. The next expansion, players are getting better and there's a bigger pool to pick from. We look at the, we look, we often compare codes, AFL and NRL. I think if we talk about the way that they've expanded the women's game, the NRL has done it 10 times better than the AFL. The AFL went five years early on what they were projected. So they projected, I don't know if you know this, Les, but they projected in 2020 that that would be the start of their NRL, comp, uh, their AFLW competition. So that's when they predicted that they would start um, their AFLW. They brought that forward five years to get it to, I believe, to get ahead of the NRL. The NRL, they waited. They put the junior pathways in. So Tasha Gale, all that stuff, all the pathways, all the training, all the programs, they were put in place first before the NRLW was brought in. They brought in the NRLW and they started with four teams. The AFLW next season, I believe, is in August. The AFLW are going to 18 teams, 18 franchises across Australia. In my opinion, they don't have the players for 18 teams. Uh, and, and their product, yes, it's a good product, and it's it's getting better um, year by year. But if we compare the two products, AFLW and the NRLW, the NRL is miles, miles ahead of the AFL, and that's because they're getting their expansion right. They're not going too quickly. People are saying they're going too slow, but they're doing it at the perfect rate um, to expand the talent, to have enough talent to have six or eight, which is what they'll, they're will they saying that they'll have two new licenses for t- season 2023, to have eight teams with quality talent and an even field of, um, of talent. And with this was seen with the Roosters, they finished fourth and they've come through and... Um, won the premiership. They finished fourth on the ladder and they won the premiership. So um, it's it's great to see for the NRLW. I think Women's Rugby League is the biggest growth area in the game. It's great to see that the biggest names in Rugby League are getting behind it. I know Matty Johns has been a big supporter listening to him on his podcast talking about how he believes that NRLW is the biggest growth area and Women's Rugby League is the biggest growth area for the sport. Touch on as well for the Co-Dalian medals. Uh, Tonegato and Boyle, they have been fantastic this season and they were very deserving of their um, their Dalian medals. Um, yeah, I just, thought, I just thought I'd mention that because, um, you know, the NRLW has been a fantastic competition. Um, For sure it has, mate. It, it's come a long way and, and I just want to give a shout out to the women as well. There was, people forget there was a lot of dramas before the season even started. Uh, about pay, about how the season was going to be delayed. Um, and there was a lot of drama in terms of the women and, and struggling because some of, for some of them, it's their only job and their only form of income. So most of them had to go out and get jobs. And so there's a lot, a lot of dramas uh, before the season even kicked off. But once it did, they played so well, the women. And I just want to give a huge shout out to them because they've done such a good job. Millie Boyle as well. Um, she was fantastic this season and, and, Tanagato, you mentioned as well. She played really well in that grand final and she played well throughout the entire season. So they both deserved those Dallium medals. And yeah, as I said, NRLW, it's come a long way and I can't wait to keep watching it because it is sometimes I think the women are tougher than the men. The, the, the big hits I see from the women are just 
unbelievable. So, um, yeah, the women NRLW, it's come a long way and I'm really impressed with how it's going. And, and as you said, yeah, they've definitely miles ahead of other sports uh, that are starting to include women as well. So, um, yeah, really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, I will say there's only one thing which um, the Dallium night, the Dallium um, medal night for the women uh, was on a Thursday. I think it deserves it. It's standalone night it deserved to be the celebration of their season which they deserved um and to have it right before what was a thursday thursday night football and and to not have that coverage you need um you need that so although the nrl have done so such good job with it such a good job with it um there's still a way to go and and putting that their next dally m night um on its sole night um is the next step forward um but yeah that's the nrl done for this week UFC 273 Alexander Volkanovsky he demolished the Korean zombie round four stoppage Les your, your thoughts on this fight did you catch it what do you think I did catch it most of this fight and I thought that Volkanovsky the ground and pound was sensational from him he he's come a long way Volkanovsky undefeated um and he's probably one of my favorite Aussie fighters to watch as well, Volkanovski. So congratulations to him for winning that fight. I thought it was a great effort from him. He's a strong little bugger and he has a great work ethic. Um, I'm even more of a fan of him that he played a bit of rugby league himself before he started uh, fighting in the MMA. So um, yeah, I love watching the UFC. Volkanovski I thought was unreal um, against the Korean Zombie. I thought that he put in some good efforts to the Korean Zombie at some stages, but yeah, Volkanovski just really got a hold of him. And yeah, that stoppage was because he, the Korean Zombie was officially brain dead. Like he just couldn't do anything else. Um, he killed a zombie, which is the first time I've seen a zombie die. Um, so yeah, there you go. Volkanovski, really good fight from him. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just, he is so um, in his division at the minute. He is the cream of the crop. And, um, you know, he's the be he's arguably the best fighter in the UFC at the moment. He's something on like a 21-fight win streak. He just demolishes anyone that gets put in front of him. And it's almost like, okay, I've got to go. He's almost got to go back through everyone he's beaten and do it once again because that's where he's at. So a fantastic fight. Um, and, yeah, it was it was great to see. It's always good um, when as an Aussie is doing well abroad. It, it You know, it, it's great to to see he walks out to, I come from a land down under and um, you know, I was sitting in the, in a pub and, you know, it was just that atmosphere. Everyone was getting behind him and, you know, it was so good to see. So it's, um, it's great when an Aussie is doing well abroad, especially in the UFC and the boxing, we've got a world champion, the boxing, a world champion in waiting in zoo Cambosis. He's bringing his titles to um, Australia. So in combat sports, we're really, there's, there's those role models who are flying the flag um, of Australia abroad. So it's great to see. Um, they breed them off down here in Australia, mate. I'll tell you that for free. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, well, unfortunately, Big Les is going to leave, don't you, Les? I do, but thank you for having me on, mate. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, be sure to go over and um, give his page a follow, listen to his podcast, great content over there. Um, and um, this won't be the last time you hear of him. He'll be he'll be back on um, for sure later on in the season. Um, so for thanks, sure, mate. Cheers. No worries. Cheers.
So we thank Les once again. Um, now we move on to the AFL AFL round four. It was a um, fantastic week in the AFL. A lot of great contests. Um, Port Adelaide against Melbourne on Thursday night. Port Adelaide 4-12-36. Defeated by Melbourne 10 8 68. And Port Adelaide, well, they slumped to 0 and 4, and it's, it's a really disappointing start to the season for Port. They were they were predicted to do big, big things in um in season 2022, obviously, a prelim final last year. And they've been in the top four for the past three years, but what they're producing at the moment is very disappointing. Um, there was a passage of play where they had an open um a, an open goal and they they still found a way to blow it. So they're lacking confidence. They're lacking that um, sort of ability to really polish and finish things off. Um, but now Melbourne, they're, they're the defending premiers for a reason, very similar to Penrith in the NRL. They're, they're showing up week in, week out and getting the job done. Geelong, 11-14-80, defeated the Brisbane Lions, 11-4-70. A very good contest, this one. Tight, um, tight battle. Um, Geelong, they were missing a few players. Their captain, Joel Selwood, Selwood was out. Tom Stewart was a late exclusion, um, but they got the job done. This game, um, it really, the big thing about this one was the contentious decisions with the push in the back. Um, there were a few uh, instances where, where Hawkins led, um, he pushed and, and received the mark. And it's really, the the rhetoric and the narrative which has come out of this game is is what's a push in the back. And they're really struggling to um, figure out what's a push in the back in the AFL. And no one really knows what that is. And this was really evident in this game as some were paid. There were some really obvious ones which weren't paid and other ones which was very, very soft and uh, which were paid. But it that shouldn't um, take the gloss off, which which was of which was a very good performance from um, Geelong at home. They're very good at home. They always are. So a fantastic win by them. Sydney, 13-8-86 against North Melbourne, 12-3-75. Now, North Melbourne, they bounce back superbly from what was a very disappointing loss against Brisbane by over 100 points. They brought the pressure um, in this contest, and they were in the game for a very long period of time. Um, their captain, Jack Zebel kicked a bag. He kicked a handful and um, really kept them in this game. But... The Swans, they were disappointing, but they flexed their muscle and they got the job done. What they need to do as um, as they are pushing for the top four, they think they're a top four side and they think that they're good enough to be in the top four. So they did what they have to do. Um, McInerney was fantastic in that last quarter, along with Isaac Heaney, um, and really drove them towards the line and towards victory. Collingwood, Ted 14-74, were defeated by West Coast 14-3-87. Look at that, 14 goals, three behinds for West Coast. When you kick 14 goals straight, you know you're a very good chance at winning the game. And um, Collingwood goal kicking in the end, obviously, um, looked to it cost them in this one. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to catch it, but it's a great result for West Coast. Um, obviously, they've had their issues with top-up players and um, COVID in Western Australia. But Collingwood, they now go to two and two. So question marks around them. Um, are they the real deal or are they just, um, or did they just get off to a very, very good start and teams are starting to figure out the way that they play? <clears throat> Richmond, 15-9-99, defeated the 
Bulldogs, 7-19-61. Now, what we got from this game is that Richmond are back. Richmond are back and they are a quality, quality side. Whereas the Bulldogs, they, um, again, inaccuracy in front of goals, seven goals um, and 19 behinds cost them. Uh, Richmond, some would say they're back and I'm probably with them as well. Um, such a good franchise that, you know, you can't keep them down for all that um, long. Fremantle, 13-10-88, defeated the GWS Giants, 8-6-54. Essendon. 15-13-103 in a tight contest against the Adelaide Crows. 15-9-99 took the victory. And uh, Adelaide, they were storming home at the end of this contest. Um, but Essendon, they held on Walker's first game back since his um, suspension for his racist um, comments, which was made in the um, South Australian um, competition. And um, didn't the crowd give it to him? Absolutely booed him out of the stadium. Um, but Essendon, they hung on and they got the job done. Hawthorne, 10-13-73 with St Kilda, absolutely demolishing them. 22-10-142, a great performance by the Saints. Um, and Hawthorne, again, similar to Collingwood, they slump to 2-2 two and two, and pressure gets put on them and um, how they rebound. St Kilda, a very impressive performance in all parts of the game. And Gold Coast at home, 13-14-92, defeated Carlton, 8-14-62. A fantastic performance from the Gold Coast Suns. Carlton, they would have had high hopes of this one. And um, unfortunately for them, uh, they go to three and one. They would have loved the opportunity to make this um, a 4-0 start to the season, but a tough performance for them. Um, unfortunately, sees... Um, the Suns take the win, and this is a very good for the Suns, obviously, a franchise in um, a bit of trouble, and they need to move forward and get out of the rut, which they are currently in. So a great performance and result for them. Right, we move on to the F1 and the Australian Grand Prix, which was held at Albert Park in Melbourne. We'll go through the order for the race. Charles Leclerc took out the victory, his second victory. From pole position, he claimed pole in qualifying on Saturday and he hung on to get the victory. Perez was second in his Red Bull with George Russell claiming his first podium in his F1 career um, and his first one in the Mercedes car. Hamilton, Norris and Ricardo rounded out the top six. Uh, McLaren, they have bounced back from what was a very disappointing first two races of the season. They seem to have their car back to where it was last year and they're pushing and competing with um, the likes of uh, the Mercedes and the, and the Alpines and the, um, the cars wh which they were pushing for the top three with last year. Danny Ricciardo, his best performance in his home Grand Prix in Australia. Ocon, Bottas, Gasly and Albon in the Williams rounded out the top 10. A fantastic drive from Alexander Albon claiming his um, first points in the Williams and their first um, points for the season. So it was a fantastic result from them. You hear him on the team radio. He was ecstatic with his performance. Joe in the Alfa Romeo just missed out on the top 10 in 11th. Stroll uh, finished in P12 after a very difficult week for the Aston Martin crew. A lot of um, and there were two big crashes 
in uh, practice three, which saw them have to push to get the car ready for qualifying. They got Stroll's car ready. Um, he then had a crash with Latifi in qualifying one, which um, saw him not record a lap time and um, a very good drive to get up into 12th. Schumacher was 13th, Magnussen 14th, so the Haas 13th, 14th. Schumacher gets in front of his teammate, Sonoda, Latifi, Alonso. Now, Alonso, he had a great qualifying session. Um, unfortunately, he, quali- he crashed in qualifying three. Um, and then when it came, so he um, was on the grid at, at P10, got up into, I think it was about P4, and then a safety car hit. So very unlucky weekend for Alonso, but his car was very, very strong. The Red Bull of Max Verstappen, their reliability issues at the moment, that's two out of three races where they've unable, where they've been unable to finish the race um, due to the reliability of the car and it just breaking down on the, and the loss of power for Max. Um, and he's not happy about it. You can tell um, they've got some things to do and some things to fix. Um, moving forward, obviously, for the defending world drivers, world champion, um, Leclerc, he's pushed, he's starting to push away from Verstappen, um, and the likes of uh, Hamilton and, and Russell, who haven't been in the fastest cars, are starting to get a, ahead of him in the individual championship race because of the way that the car is going at the moment. But Red Bull, I'm sure that they'll be. Um, wanting to get that right because well they'll need to get that right moving forward because they'll want Max Verstappen pushing for that championship as well as wanting to win the constructions championship. Um, And they missed a big opportunity this weekend um, with Carlos Sainz um, failing to um, finish the race. He had a bit of an error only in the second lap of the Grand Prix um, and and ended up in the gravel and was unable to get out. So, you know, Red Bull, they missed an opportunity to get more points and, and take advantage of the mishap from Ferrari. But um, Ferrari come out on top in this with um, Leclerc finishing top and signs and um, Sergio Perez running in second. So they take home more points than um, their biggest rival at the moment, Red Bull. And Sebastian Vettel had a very tough weekend in Australia. Uh, only spent something like 23 laps out on track. Uh, his car wasn't up to it and it was unfortunate to see because everyone in Australia does love Sebastian Vettel. So um, overall, it was a more exciting Australian Grand Prix to what we've seen um, in previous years. There was a lot of um, Leclerc, he kicked clear, but the battle for the minor places was exciting and um, it was good to see um, the performance of specifically Ricardo in his home Grand Prix. It was great to see. Um, him pulled up a very good fight. Um, that's all we got time for on the True Blue Sporting Podcast and the review of the week that was in Australian sport. And I'll see you next time where we have a look at what is ahead and what we as Australian sporting fans have to look forward to in the next week. Goodbye.